0: Friends, welcome to This Week in the Way of Jesus, a podcast hosted by the 8th Street Church. We are a spiritual community of hope and transformation that is trying to live this way of Jesus. You'll find both weekly spiritual practices and weekly sermons on this podcast feed. For more information about the 8th Street Church, please visit our website, www8 streetchurchorg or social media pages linked in the show notes. Wow, uh, <laughs> I can't say amen to that, but I, uh, I feel uh, very humbled and blessed. Uh, your pastor is one of my dear friends. I think the world of him, and I know you do too. Uh, he is uh, exceptional, not only uh, with his ability to think clearly, but his heart uh, is exceptional, It is wide open. Well, it is uh, a privilege to be with you, and uh, I have selected, well, I haven't really selected, the church historically has selected a text for us today from the lectionary. And so I am going to read that, and because the church historically doesn't get everything right, uh, they only have half of the passage. I'm going to go ahead and read what they've selected for next week, especially since I'm not going to be here. Uh, (laughs) Because it is one passage, or it's one pericope. Uh, It is one unit. And uh, it is found in Matthew's gospel. It's the gospel reading for today. And it begins in, uh, it's chapter 16, begins in verse 13, and it reads down to verse 23. I think we have it there. Uh, yeah. Well, we actually have it through 28, don't we? Okay, I'll read it through 28. Uh, <laughs> it puts us on the spot, 28 does. Uh, I, uh, I want to read this to you, and then we will end with a response. And I'm not, I'm not sure. You probably do this, but I'm going to say the word of the Lord and you can respond, thanks be to God. Does that sound like a good thing? All right. I invite you to hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They say, some say he is John the Baptist, others Elijah and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter, I had my comment here, of course, spoke up and answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, Petras. And on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly warned them, And uh, he sternly warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hand of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Peter, of course took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their lives will lose it, and those who lose their lives for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their lives? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly, I tell you, There are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And this is the word of the Lord. Well, uh, I would wear uh, a nice uh, little uh, mic around my head, except I'm old and I have hearing aids, and that kind of messes those cool mics up a lot. Elaine and I just returned from a very long and amazing trip through the heartland of Europe. Uh, We spent over two weeks going from Amsterdam, parts of the Netherlands, into Germany, through all of these amazing little Bavarian cities and towns, finally to literally the coolest city in the world. Vienna, Austria, by the way, if I was young, I would live there. If I didn't have grandchildren here, I would live there. (laughs) Amazing, and finally off to Budapest, which is rather pretty, not probably top of the shelf for me. In that whole trip, we saw something that was amazing more churches and cathedrals than you ever want to see. After a while, they all start looking alike. They are incredible, though. They have art everywhere, statues everywhere. One of them actually took over 600 years to finish. But Europe has a problem. In fact, I would say Europe's problem and the problem that I see in this text and the problem I see in American Christianity is the same problem. As I went back through my history, European history, church history, it dawned on me again and again and again that these great churches and cathedrals, art, was a work of passion, lots of it of love, amazing. You, You would see all sorts of forms of art. You would see, of course, the infancy narrative played out in all kinds of ways. Baby Jesus was everywhere. And then you would see the Jesus on the cross. Many of these magnificent, facilities were Catholic, and so you had the crucifix everywhere. I crossed myself so many times. I, I, I almost feel Catholic this morning, to be honest with you. You would then see a few resurrection scenes, and then many of these second coming scenes where Jesus would come, and he was always depicted as strong, as powerful as conquering. Now, I told you that I believe this text problem and European Christianity's problem and Christianity in America has the same problem. That problem is this. It's both a blessing and a terrible curse. People who confess that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, which are basically titles for him. People who confess that have the keys of the kingdom. The church has the keys of the kingdom. Ponder that a second. The church is not the kingdom. You know that, right? but we have the keys to the kingdom. But what that means is that we stand at the gate and we either let people in or we keep people out. I guess to end with the question I'm going to end the sermon with, I ought to tell you right now. And it's this. Who do you want to keep out? Who do you want to keep out? Now the church in Europe found ways to do that, believe it or not. And it didn't really start in Europe, it started with this cat named Constantine. In fact, when Constantine, the emperor of Rome, became a Christian, I am convinced he sent the church to hell. By that, I mean there came to be a companionship, a coalition between empire and faith. That has never quite been severed from that early fourth century. Maybe for the next thousand plus years. Christians actually Kill Christians. let I say that again? Christians. Kill Christians. Now, I don't know how you define being a gatekeeper. Letting some people in, not letting a lot of other people in. But killing them probably is one image that says to us, that's pretty much do not enter here you're not welcome. And they did that for all kinds of reasons. Now, they had good precedent for that. And Jesus starts out this whole thing with this incredible confession. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is saying in this profound confession, very quickly, that it will not be a confession that is accepted well by religious people. One of my favorite 20th century theologians, someone that I'm sure you will recognize his name, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, right? You all recognize good old Dietrich? He is incredible, died at age 39. That's so sad. I I would have loved especially an idea that has gotten a hold of me now that I'm not hired by anybody. It's also a good place to be. And that is this one idea. He dreamed of the day that we would have religionless Christianity. Can, Can I say that again? That doesn't mean Christianity without church. But that is talking about religion as an institution because all institutions wield power. And ultimately, the real way of wielding power is saying, Welcome, but not you. Welcome, but not you. And so, using Bonhoeffer's language, we can go a few chapters later. 26 to be exact, chapter 26 of Matthew, you have Jesus now being interrogated by religious leaders, chief priests among them. And the chief priest asks him the very same question of Peter's confession Are you the Christ? The Son? of the living God. And Jesus answers it in his kind of sly way. He said, well, you say so, right? You say so. The chief priest just goes crazy, rips his garments, cries out, blasphemy. I've asked myself, why did he think that Jesus was such a blasphemer? I mean, because everybody was expecting the Messiah. Even chief priests were expecting the Messiah in the first century. Everybody was, they were expecting this. So what made him say blasphemer? Well, Matthew is really intriguing. Chapters eight and nine, he goes through a list of things. Right after the Sermon on the Mount, that's five, six, and seven, he goes through a list of things that Jesus does. A list of things like touch lepers, heal the sick, touch a woman with a blood issue, touching the dead. It's intriguing to me. Touching a woman with fever, casting out the demons. In other words, Jesus, in chapters 8 and 9, is depicted as touching the untouchable, loving the unlovable, welcoming the unwelcomed. Oh, my goodness. He even accepts a tax collector. And he responds to a centurion. Those people who were bringing violence upon these Jewish people. You see, religious people, myself included, allow our piety, piety, the way we think about our faith, especially as it's internalized. We allow our piety to determine who can come through the gate. I told my wife, I, I listened to a collection of hymns, really cool, kind of jazzed up hymns, about an hour of them every day of my life. I'm retired, you get to do what you want, right? And I kind of did as I wanted a little bit prior, but I do completely as I want now. One of the hymns that I listen to is this one, Just As I Am Without One Plea. I come, I come. It's not just as I should be, not even as I should be in my own thinking all the time, but just as I am. Why? Because the kingdom of God, the gate of the kingdom of God is about the hospitality of grace. It doesn't say you have to punch this, 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 and this, and then you get a line up. It is about grace, grace, marvelous grace that extends to you and extends to me. And so religion, religion is not necessarily about the hospitality of grace. I hope you understand the difference between Christian faith and religion here. Because when religion insists on itself, and it doesn't matter if it's Christian, it doesn't matter if it's Jewish, it doesn't matter if it's Islamic, or we could go on. It always has a criteria for if you get through their gate. Now, a very interesting piece. Jesus... Absolutely changes the picture. In fact, if you look at Matthew's gospel, if you you want your heart strangely warmed, read the genealogy of Jesus. You say, what are you talking about? (laughs) Genealogy of Jesus has four unique women in the genealogy, which is odd. The first one is Tamar. Tamar. Now, there's a real backstory to Tamar, but what makes her interesting is that she has sex with her father-in-law after her dead husband is gone, and the father-in-law didn't know it, and the father-in-law wants to bring his piety upon her, and basically, he wants to execute her. Intriguing, don't you find it? (laughs) The next in the genealogy of Jesus is Rahab. Does anybody know anything about Rahab? She's an intriguing cat. She was a harlot. She was a prostitute. She ran, oh, as as in Amsterdam, the, the red light district. I find that intriguing, don't you? Why would Jesus, why would Matthew include those in Jesus' genealogy? But next is Ruth. They say, what's so bad about Ruth? She's an awesome lady. Well, she is. She is an awesome lady. But you know that little part in Ruth where she uncovers Boaz's feet? That's that's a Hebrew phrase for something else. Genealogy of Jesus. And then finally, in case the reader didn't get it, you have the wife of Uriah. You say, who in the world is the wife of Uriah? Well, ultimately, she's the mother of Solomon. Right? She's Bathsheba. Bathsheba. And all of these are at the beginning to tell us something. In case we don't get all of that, there, there is one group of people that Israel said are out for sure. And they are the Gentile slash wizards. Guess the first people to worship baby Jesus in Matthew's story. We call them the three wise men, the magi, they were the three. So in case we just don't get it, piety is not a permission to say no. But what is also not an issue to say no is dear brother Peter. Right? Now, Peter has some really wonderful things. He's called Petros, the rock or his confession is. (laughs) And like that, Jesus calls him Satan. That'll warm your heart, right? I don't even like that when a student would call me, oh, he's like Satan, he's just so mean. I can't even imagine the Lord. Get behind me, Satan. Because you think thoughts that are earthly, not thoughts that are gods. And so what was Peter? Peter had the same kinds of expectations, except he had hung out with Jesus, and he knew Jesus was including all these people, but what he believed is that the kingdom of God would come in power, and that there was no way that he would be rejected, but he would be powerful. Much like European Christianity evolved into. To the point that by the time we get into the 20th century, it was ultimately the evangelical church in Germany that basically permissioned Adolf Hitler. It's a chilling sight to see that balcony in Vienna where Hitler stood and spoke to over 100,000 people in that large expanse. You see, piety and power are not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is the hospitality of grace, the hospitality that you and I are given the keys to. Everybody is given the keys to it. Chapter 23 of Matthew, he makes it really clear. It's intriguing. He said, you Pharisees have even closed the kingdom to others. You see, how we operate as religious people either says welcome or no. No. welcome, not here, welcome. In just a few moments, we're going to uh, take of the Eucharist. The one question I want to ask you that I asked you early on is this. Who don't you want in the kingdom? Who don't you want in the kingdom? You have a name, name, a face, a category, a class. Some kind of lack of piety or lack of power. What I do know is this, that there is no way in all the world, no way in all the world, That any of us can buy power by Caesar, by Constantine, by the socialist movement that was known as Nazi, or can I even say it, by Christian nationalism? None of us can make the kingdom happen, none of us can protect our piety. Who do you want and not want in the kingdom? I think this meal tells us something about who Jesus welcomes, right? He reinterprets Passover. He calls it his body and his blood poured out, broken for us, right? What is interesting about that, though, is that most of the time you and I may think that he died so that God would not be mad. But perhaps we are to recognize in the brokenness of his body and the poured out shedding of his blood, not something that God is about other than God participates in the love that is demonstrated there. But perhaps it's about what we're about. Who he invited that night was a person who would completely betray him. Who he'd invite that night was a person who would three times deny him. Who he would invite that night or the rest who would abandon him. Do you know what that tells me? Just as I am without one plea, that the hospitality of grace includes me. In a moment, you're going to stand and come down the center aisle, receive with cupped hands, a piece of bread, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Take that bread, dip it into the cup, and then eat. You say, Steve, am I really welcome? If you know you need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, because you sit at the same table that that crowd did, then you're absolutely welcome. And now, Lord God, would you bless these elements, bread broken for us. The cup poured out blood for us. May we recognize ourselves at the table and may we recognize your love that is extended toward us. And may we always, always keep the gate open. And it's in the name of your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand and would you come and receive? Friends, each week we invite our congregation to respond to what they've heard by entering into a weekly spiritual practice. You can find the episode to the practice and enter into this way of Jesus in the podcast feed. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you wherever you go.